This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 12th, episode 2910. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge... You're an endurance rider. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this endurance episode. We appreciate you being here, and we're getting into endurance season, too, all across the country. We sure are. Even even your snow might melt soon. I know. (laughs) We got new snow yesterday. (laughs) Well, middle of April, why not, you know? It's like, (laughs) well, we're going to talk a lot about endurance today, and we're going to learn about Something that's a little different, and that's Ride and Tie. Rufus Schneider's joining us to talk to us about how Ride and Tie works. In case you're a runner and a rider and really want to uh, show off both skills, that's the event for you. Plus, Susan is joining us. She's the Southeast Region Director for the American Endurance Ride Conference, and she's going to tell us all about the Southeast Rides, the ones down in my neck of the woods coming up in 2022. Plus, Karen's going to do a training tip on the riding apps that she's been using all coming up on this episode. Now, for those that are regular regulars on the endurance episode, you know Karen's been uh, training up a couple of horses, so tell us how that's going. It's been doing going really good, actually. I've been doing, you know, I had to overcome a little bit of the trust and stubborn issues with Jovi after I had to treat him for five months for a, a sarcoid, which he's completely recovered over. Oh, and now we're actually hitting the trail and I've got steering, stopping, <laughs> you know, some control. So we've been doing a lot of arena work lessons combined with going out on the trail. Now, do you always go out with somebody else, or do you go out by yourself sometimes? You know, we do both, and I've also done some work with um, Jovi with having my husband riding his bicycle around Mm. us to get him exposed to bicycles because everybody in the neighborhood is getting e-bikes now, so we're seeing lots of bicycles. And then I'm also going out on foot um, by myself sometimes, and then sometimes my friend is riding Apollo with me and I'm also still occasionally riding Apollo myself um, trying to get myself back into shape <laughs> There's that into too. riding shape <laughs> yes and and so last week when they announced that they were starting the virtual Tevis which is where you have a hundred days to do a hundred miles with your horse and they've also got a division if you don't have a horse and you just want to do a hundred miles on foot you can sign up and it, the funds go to help support the Western States Trail Foundation. And uh, once you complete your 100 miles, you get a T-shirt for participating Jennifer in completing the event. telling me that that thing's hugely popular. People are going nuts. There's a lady do, driving her mini and all kinds of stuff. 
I know. I've got friends on some of my apps that are doing it, and they're all excited. I just did my first miles for the virtual Tevis, and it's getting a lot of people out there, getting them motivated, giving them a goal to do something. And I kind of figured by the time I get, you know, another 100 miles of riding on Jovi, then, you know, we're going to progress that much more because we've really been coming along good in just the last month. Jovi, not quite ready for the real Tevis yet. So this is a good alternative. Not quite yet. My dad calls <laughs> me and says, oh, my gosh, you're not taking Jovi on Tevis yet, are you? <laughs> no, dad. Did you read? Did you read every word where it said virtual? virtual. No, nobody sees No, it that. just <laughs> said you were going to be writing him 100 miles. <laughs> it's like, no, calm down. Don't worry. We're not quite ready. Neither one of us are ready for that yet. <laughs> Neither one of us are ready for Tevis. The, the real tab is, but uh, to do this, it's fine. We can do it however we want. That's kind of the fun part. We can um, just go out and record, it, you know, if if we want to take our horses for a hike or, you know, whatever, even doing an arena lesson, we can just turn on our GPS app or, or whatever on our phone and record it and then upload it to the site and it automatically enters everything for us and, and it's really quite simple. It's kind of kind of a fun thing. We'll put a link for that in our show notes. Like, can they still sign up or is sign up over? You can still sign up all the way till you know July seventeenth, I believe, is the oh, Tavis. Good. So we have between now and then to do it. You know, you can even even if you just do a mile a day, uh, you you know, it then you, miles. it works out. Or oh. you know, at this point, you you. You're only a few days behind the starting date, so you know you you could do you know just a couple of ten mile rides or five mile rides even a week. Okay, and, well, cool. and still still get there. Sounds yeah. good. Well, uh, in our post show, we're gonna we're for those auditors that if, if you've signed up to become an auditor in the post show, which is immediately after this show, we're gonna talk about a little adventure that you had uh, with the horses in training them <laughs> a little desensitization adventure you had so yeah but you have to be an auditor to get that later on in the day right now we're going to your endurance tip so okay. let's talk about that okay so i have since i've been writing i've been um again more regularly and consistently i've been going back to all the apps that were some of my favorites and so i'm going to talk about three of my favorite apps that are the most reliable and that I have used for the longest with the most success. Um, you know, and there are apps that I know I've talked about before that know that they don't have them anymore. They've gone away. So these are the current ones that I've been having the best luck with. Uh, the first one is called Relive, R-E-L-I-V-E. -E. And you can find all these apps you can find on either app store. So they will work on either Android or iPhones. And the Relive app is kind of fun. It will track your mileage, elevation, speed, and and then later, it, you know, once you stop your, your ride or your event, it will turn it into a video going, showing your route over on a topo map and if you have taken photos during during your ride you can also insert the photos and it will show you at the certain points along the trail exactly where you took those photos and the photos will pop up oh, cool. so that's kind of a fun fun one the next one is equilab this one records you know much of the same things as relive does um, but it will show you how much time you have spent in each gate walk trot canter 
you know, it shows you how many transitions you've done. And then when you look at the map later, it'll have different colors for the different gates. So you can look at, okay, I did this trail today and, you know, mostly at a walk because I'm, you know, I've been legging the horses up, you know, and then the next time I, I try to trot a little more so you can see your increased amount of trotting or cantering or, you know, whatever it is. It also has a voice coach so it can update like every five minutes. It will tell you um, how much time you have spent in, in a certain gate or how much time you've spent riding and your distance. And that one's free. It also, um, all these apps are free with the basic options. This one has a subscription in addition that has a safety tracking feature. So if you want someone to be able to track you live while you're riding for safety purposes, it does have a, um, an option for that. And then my favorite app that I use is called Ride with GPS. And this one has become very popular with ride managers. And we've talked about this before on the show. They have been using this to measure and mark the trail for the endurance riders. And then they download the tracks on their phone and it actually guides them along the course. So if markings get tampered with or pulled down, there's no question. The app will tell you exactly where to go. It will even tell you if you've missed a turn. And I know great. Karen, two days ago on April the 10th, did 6.3 miles. <laughs> I did 6.3 miles. hour, 38 minutes. I know that because I am friends with her and ride in GPS and I can keep, I, I can keep track oh. of her. You know, and you can see how slow we are. And part of our slowness is stopping to let it's springtime. So there's green grass. And we're also stopping to talk to people in the neighborhood when we go in and out. So our average speed is definitely not that accurate on there. So I just want to add that. I like when you post uh, pictures, though. I like that because I get to look at the pictures. Now, I use this. Jennifer uses this one, too, when she rides. And I use this okay. when I'm ride my bike. It's great for that too. Uh, okay. Yeah. And this one's cool. I can download the GPX file from my rides and then I can upload that into the Relive. That way I'm not running like three different apps at once because you got to watch your battery, especially once you're riding for longer mm. periods of time, you don't want to run the battery down on your phone. Right. And so that's kind of the fun thing with that is you can, um, Upload that later and and then still get your relive video back, which is kind of fun to share. You're the only so, one I, I'm friends with on this app. Okay, you need to get some more on there. <laughs> so that one's so there's the three. There's uh, relive, Equilab, and ride with GPS. And you use ride with GPS the most, then? Yes, yeah, so I believe it's the most accurate. At least in my area, it is. You know, but anybody needs to, you know, experiment with some of these and see which one might work best for them. And I think they're all free with an option stuff. Great, right? They are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're on both platforms because there were some other apps that are nice, um, but they're only available on one of the platforms. All right, good. And I'll put – so uh, in the show notes for today's episode, we'll put uh, links to each one of those as well so that – Everybody okay. can refer to that. Just swipe over on your phone and click on one of those links to check them out. Right. And this is a great way to, you know, gradually, in, you know, it's a more scientific 
way to measure and know exactly, you know, how, how long you're riding your horse, how far or, you know, what gait you're in. And it's it's a good motivator to keep you improving and trying to realize, okay, look, I've, I, you know, I've spent 80% of my last couple rides in a walk. Now I need to start purposely focusing on, I need to, you know, get this horse trotting more. Right. Very good. Well, that's great. And now we need to learn about where to keep your phone when you are riding and what options there are for that. And Kristen from Distance Depot is going to tell us about that. Well, as always, we have Kristen here with the Distance Depot. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Hi, Kristen. Remind everybody what part of the country you're in. We are in the Midwest. We're um, just below Kansas City. We're on the Missouri side, but um, very close to the Kansas line. So right smack dab in the middle. Tornado (laughs) country. Good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Remember to duck. Unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when the tornadoes and the winds come through, you have to worry about keeping your cell phone on your person. And that's what we're talking about today. (laughs) How to carry your cell phone safely while you're riding and also, you know, or your GPSs or whatever. So talk to us about that. What are the best ways and what what options do you have at the Distance Depot? Okay, well, of course, we have lots of saddlebags and so on. But as you mentioned, the best way to carry your saddlebag, we have little pommel bags and so on. But the best way to carry your cell phone or your GPS unit, obviously, is on your person so that should you become separated from your horse, um, you have your cell phone. So we do offer quite a variety of things. We have the Cashel Ankle Safe, which is a pretty cool little unit. It's padded and attaches with Velcro and elastic. So it's pretty comfortable to wear around your lower leg. And you can put your keys and a flashlight, of course, your cell phone and money, you know, smaller things like that. So it's not super heavy and would be comfortable enough to wear all day. Um, we also have a casual trail kit, which does go on your saddle. <clears throat> it's padded. It sort of sits in your pommel area. It has a great place for your map and keys and that you could put your cell phone in there. But I suggest maybe using the horse holster or a carrots um, in hand. We call it, it's the in hand fanny pack cell phone holder, Um, but basically worn around your waist. You can also put smaller items in there, hoof pick and chapstick and so on, but there's plenty of room for your cell phone in those. And the horse holster has been redesigned. It used to only be worn around your leg, basically, but now you can wear it four ways. So you can wear it, um, you can put your belt through it if you happen to be a belt user. You can put it around your upper leg or your lower leg. Um, Some people wear it around their calf. I've seen them do that. Um, You can also use their strap and wear it across your body or put it around your waist. Yeah, Jennifer uses that all the time. That's what she uses. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's real big, so it will hold, if you have one of those really big cell phones, um, there's plenty of room in there. They do offer a medical horse holster also, which is handy for those people who you know, have medical supplies that you have to carry with you because it's red and it says in case of emergency. So it would alert someone, you know, should you be in need of um, using your medical supplies. So that's kind of cool too. Um, And of course, tights. Um, And I think Karen mentioned earlier, we were talking and she said she likes the tights with the pockets. Mm -hmm. And so many, yeah, so many of the manufacturers now 
are offering um, pockets on the side and people are afraid they'll lose their phone. But believe me, when you have your tights on and you stuffed your phone in there, there's, you know, it's pretty hard for it to come out. They really, you know. Right. I've been writing in tights with pockets for a few years now and that's never, never happened. Never happened. So, yeah, it's very secure and so easy to reach, you know, to grab and pull out if you want to take a photo and then slip it right back in the pocket. It's super convenient. Yeah, easy access. And it's pretty comfortable, too. I've worn my my tights for a few years, too. Um, We also we have a new um, Carrots Dynamic Extended Boot Cut Trail Pant, and it has five pockets, one with a zipper. But this material on this pant is really cool. It's moisture wicking, super lightweight, but um, compressive enough not to, you know, to be, fl- the material just makes the pant flattering. Um, but it sheds light rain. So on a misty day um, or, you know, if your hair, it, it sheds all that. It's great material and cool that they've made a trail pant um, in a boot cut. So mm-hmm. you can go, uh, you know, to the grocery store <laughs> or wherever um, <laughs> and, not, and not feel like you're in your, you know, in, in your, your barn clothes. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> in your <barn laughs> clothes, yeah. But they're nice looking, too. So lots of different options. Well, tell us, uh, Kristen, how would somebody get in touch with you? Well, you can call us toll-free. Our number is 866-863-2349 or find us on the web, www.thedistancedepot.com. Our first guest this morning is Rufus Schneider, who is a longtime Ride and Tie participant, and she's here to tell us about how Ride and Tie works, along with the upcoming 50th anniversary Ride and Tie World Championship. Good morning, Rufus. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to talk to you about Ride and Tie. So uh, can you give me a little overview about, uh, for the listeners that don't know or aren't familiar with what Ride and Tie is? Um, Okay, well, Ride and Tie is a sport consisting of two people and one horse. Um, And you're out on a trail course. It's been pre-marked for you. And you, at the starting line, one of the competitors is on the horse and one of the competitors is on the ground and they take off and the person on the horse obviously can go faster. So they ride ahead on the prescribed course to a point that they decide and get off and tie the horse and start running. And then the person that was on the ground obviously starts running at the start. And when they get to the horse, they untie the horse, hop on the horse. And there's two different ways to proceed. They can either ride past their horse, runner that is now on the ground in a leapfrog uh, fashion and tie ahead of that runner and get off the horse and start running again. Or they can do what we call a flying exchange. When they come upon the front runner, they will hop off the horse while the front runner hops back on the horse and keep shooting the horse out and that runner out front. Um, It really depends on the team strategy, which way they do it. Obviously, the horse doesn't rest as often because he's not getting tied as often but the team is also saving a lot of time, not doing as many ties. And you continue on. Um, and the, when you come to the finish line, all three team members have to come over the line for you to get your time. So like if the runner is ahead and comes over the line, their time isn't done until the horse and the back rider come over the line also. And there are vet checks in, in between. Um, there'll be a point where the rider comes in on the horse, leaves the horse for their crew, and they head off running, 
And when the back runner comes in, they have to vet the horse. The horse has criteria of heart rate and pulse and a sound trot before they can head out and go out after their front runner. Okay, so there is a bit of strategy involved then. Yes, there, there's actually a lot of strategy. Um, it's usually not the fastest runners win. It's the smartest fast runners because okay. <laughs> you have to take care of your horse. So that means that, you know, um, well, first of all, because a runner can't carry a horse, but a horse can carry a runner. So if you wear your horse out, there's nothing you can do about it, but, you know, slowly walking in to finish. Um, so you want to make sure that your horse is fit and able to do the job. And then where you place the horse has a lot to do with it, too. Um, it's, you're using all the strengths of all three teammates, the horse and both runners. So if one teammate can run hills a lot stronger, they may place the horse at the bottom of the hill and run up the hill while the other teammate comes along, gets the horse, and then gets, takes the horse up the hill so that everybody uses their, their best strengths. That makes a lot of sense. So what what kind of distances are we talking here? Um, we have practice riding ties anywhere from, you know, 7 to 15 miles, but to count for scoring and to accumulate mileage points, it has to be at least 20 miles. And we've had riding ties as long as 100 miles. Wow. And how much time do you have to finish? There usually is not a cutoff time. It's um, at a championship, you'll have the first place team come in anywhere around, you know, three hours and last place team, maybe eight hours. Okay. Well, and do you have any tips on if somebody wants to train their horse um, to handle the tying part? Because that's got to be kind of exciting when, you know, you you ride up to a tree and tie the horse up. And now the rest of the field is going by them. Going by. Yes. We use Arabs who are very competitive on their own. Um, (laughs) Uh So what I usually do, because I train the horses myself to do this event, is take a horse, you know, take your horse out that you're teaching, plus three or four other horses that you know, um, and riders, and you just go out on a small eight mile loop or something, and you just practice tying your horse and um, having the other horses go by and come back uh-huh. across. And usually you'll stand in the background and watch and see what your horse does, see what his tendencies are, and then right. work on those. Um, My they- tendency would be to wrap himself around the tree. And and I can't bring a big bag of alfalfa to keep him happy while I leave. I I just see this as a nightmare in the making. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, they are competitive, so they figure out the game real quick. You'll find the the seasoned horses when you tie them. The first thing they do is they they turn and they look for their runner, their back runner, and they start calling to them. Wow. And they'll start getting kind of excited. Um, We suggest you always tie sturdy to a good branch. We've had horses break free and sure. run down the trail. I'm sure you carrying a little twig with them <laughs> that they got tied to. Um, so the first, the important thing is to start at home teaching your horse to tie. Right. Right. Uh huh. Which is a basic skill for, for any horse rider <laughs> is to have your horse tied to a trailer, tied to whatever, you know, and you should be able to walk away. Mm-hmm. So you have to work on that at home. But then after you get them out on the course, um, yeah, just have, practice with other horses going back and forth, back and forth. And 
then reward him by letting him, you know, get untied and go after some of those horses. Like I said, after their first ride and tie, a lot of, most of them pick it up pretty quick and they'll stand there like looking for their back person going, Hey, hurry up. Come on. We gotta, we gotta go get those people. Sure. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool watching that transformation. I bet. So it's, you guys kind of need to match yourselves up so that your stirrup length is kind of close enough for both of the riders. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, they do have a set Not of to stirrups. mention butt sizes. I mean, there is that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that. Um, yeah, um, they have double what they call double stirrups. Oh, okay. So if you have people of different height, they can both have a spot on and the manage. stirrup. Oh, that makes sense. That's quite. Yeah, kind of cool. I, I found those very uncomfortable. They hit me in the shins. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, finding somebody with your same length is important. And of course, I I'm only five foot six and a half, so I ride short horses. Um, because it's easier to get off and on. Yes, definitely. So, definitely. So, so how many riding ties have you done? How many have I done? Uh-huh. Oh, I don't know. I just hit my over 2,000 mile mark. So oh, good. I've been uh-huh. doing since 1991. So I, I, I couldn't tell you a lot. <laughs> What's the so, hardest part? What's the hardest part of doing this? Nowadays, the hardest part is finding um, a committed partner. It takes two people and one horse. And so getting all three teammates to commit and train and make it to the starting line is really hard these days. Yeah, I can imagine. That's what I was um, thinking with the hard part, coordinating everything. Yeah, when I first started them, you had a partner, and it was pretty much your partner for life, and you did all of them together and showed up together and shared the cost. And it got to the point where... People would say they would do it and then not show up. And then people are scrambling for partners at the last minute, um, which can cause chaos because mm-hmm. it really works better when you've all practiced together and trained together. Um, and then, of course, the cost of traveling now with a horse trailer is, is right. getting very, very tough. <laughs> yeah. And that I can see how that would help a lot where you have two people to share the costs of, you know, the horse and the entry and the, and the fuel and travel and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and we don't have riding ties, you know, around every corner. Most of them are a good, a good, you know, at least five-hour drive. The championship for me is always at least a two-day drive, so it does get it does get pretty um, tough. And here I was <laughs> right. thinking the hardest part, Karen, would be running a hundred yards. Uh, you know, <laughs> let alone twenty to hundred miles. <laughs> like. <laughs> Exactly. So we have an upcoming 50th anniversary Ride and Tie World Championship. What can you tell us about that? Okay. The 50th was supposed to be two years ago with COVID. Of course, it kept getting postponed. Uh Um, So we were having it this year up at Humboldt um, State Park, up in Humboldt, California. Northern California. uh, Or I'm sorry, Northern California. Yeah. and I believe the long course is going to be between 30 and 35 miles, and they will have a short course. Um, it's a beautiful campground with the horse corrals already in place and everything like that, and the trails there are beautiful. For somebody from Southern California, for me, it's pretty neat because even though you're there in the middle of the summer, it's cool. You're by the coast. Uh, it's got a little bit of fog. And, um, and they have lots of trees. <laughs> and lots, yeah, you almost feel like it's raining. It's so damp in there. And then you come out in the open and like, oh, the sun is shining. So we've had championships there before. Um, and it seems to, to lay out pretty nice for all the competitors. 
So we're hoping to get some of the old timers back. Ride and Tide has been around for 50 years, and there's still competitors who are still able from way back when to come out and mm-hmm. and join us for the 50th. So that's going to be kind of exciting. And so. do you need volunteers? We would love to have volunteers. Okay. Um, usually the teams that come up bring their own family and stuff, and we start grabbing them for volunteers. But if uh, if they would love to vo- come and volunteer, then check out our website. It's uh, www.ride and the word and tie t-i-e dot org and they can contact the race director who's sequoia her name is sequoia and let her know that they would like to come volunteer or just come watch it's always great to have a lot of people out there it's hard to watch while we're out on the trail but the finish and the vet checks are very exciting right yes i was going to ask if spectators are allowed so good they are allowed it is hard though because we leave the starting line and we go away out on the trail and they come back through vet checks um, and then head back out and then the finish line. So it's, unless a spectator is, you know, very mobile, it's hard to see a lot of it. Right. Is this mostly a Western United States thing or is there some in the East as well? It started here in, in California, actually the San Francisco Bay area is where it started. And quite a few years ago, it started catching on on the East coast and right now, their numbers, I believe, are larger than ours. They weren't as locked down as we were as far as the parks and the trails and all that. So they've continued through COVID having races, and we are just now coming back. Yeah, I'm so, looking at uh, at your calendar of events, and I saw there was, uh, it was a lot in Ocala. Like all, well, I live in Ocala, and, and uh, of course, all the endurance oh, okay. riders descend on Ocala, so it makes sense that you were having those here. Yeah, yeah, it really has grown on the East Coast in the last few years, but it, it started on it started in the Bay Area. I mean, yeah. when I started in '90, you know, we had five or six just within an hour of San Francisco. Now we have I'm having one in Southern California, and we have one in Northern California this year, and that's about it on the West Coast. Well, I know some of the AERC rides are starting to add on a ride in tie. Yeah, we, we've kind of joined hands with AERC to help promote the sport and bring it back mm-hmm. to this area. And we thought the surest way would be for endurance riders to see us out there doing our thing and, you know, deciding to join us. Although it's easier to get a runner on a horse than to get a horse person on the ground running. Right. Exactly. I, I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah, I was reading about your Equithon event. Tell us about that because that can, you can do that with just one person. Yeah, in Equithon, um, you can do it a team or an iron person. And Sue Smythe actually started that years ago at her cool ride and tie because she had friends that definitely didn't run. And she had horse, uh, you know, horse friends that didn't want to run. And she had runners who didn't want to get on a horse. So she decided to create the Equithon. And so what that is is one of the loops you start on the horse and you just go out and ride the whole loop, kind of like an endurance type ride. And then when you come in, and the horse vets down, which means their heart rate and their criteria are at a certain mark. Then the runner just goes out and runs that course and comes in. So it's, it's kind of like a dual, duathlon <laughs> with a right, horse. Right. So you could use so two one people person or the both. same. Okay. Pardon me? Okay. No, go ahead and finish. Oh, I was going to say, so it's, so it's that way you can get a horse person and a runner together and share the event, but they're not out there sharing the horse. 
Okay, that makes, that makes a lot sense. of sense, sense for yeah. for those kinds of people. Well, Great. I'm seeing well, so, events. I'm Karen. I'm looking at the calendar here, and I'm seeing Maryland and Virginia and Tennessee and just all over the place. <laughs> uh, it's right in tie.org. That's where you can find all the information. Thanks for stopping by and letting us know uh, how it all works. Thanks, Rufus, and all good right, well, luck. All right, thanks, you guys. <laughs> thank you. Well, you've been hearing about horseware all these years here on Horses in the Morning. We, I just went over to their website at horseware.com, and we talk a lot about their blankets and their sheets and their fly sheets and things like that, but their spring line of clothing is out. They actually sell a ton of clothing, and they have all kinds of new stuff out right now, and in polo tops and uh, rain gear, uh, T-shirts, all kinds of clothing, and, and a lot of it is, is the special summertime fabrics that we love to wear here in the technical fabrics that we love to wear here in Florida otherwise you die go check them out right now I'm taking a look and a lot of these are women's As a matter of fact most of them are women's that you're going to find here on the horseware website but they have all different price points and they have zip tops they also have vests right now they have really lightweight soft shell jackets that are brand new and really stylish these are all made for riders because it's horseware you know, they know about riders. Matter of fact, Tom, the guy who runs Horseware and who started Horseware, is a big endurance rider. And he rides all over Europe. I just see he's in Spain right now or somewhere riding endurance. He was in the last World Equestrian Games. So they're a company that actually understands riding. They understand riders. They understand that you have to have something, especially in endurance, that fits, that's not uncomfortable. So you can find all of that at Horseware.com. Check out the new lines today. Coming up next, we have Susan, who is a regional director, Southeast Regional Director, and she's going to talk to us about the rides coming up in the Southeast region and what's happening in my neck of the woods. Hi, Susan. Thank you for joining us this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and thank you for inviting me. Well, we've had people requesting uh, more information on the Southeast region, which I know is one of the largest regions in the AARC, it's hugely popular. You've got a lot of the best rides there, covers several different states. So what can you tell us about the Southeast region? Well, you have covered all the high points <laughs> with what you said. Thank you very much. Yes, we're, we're particularly proud of the fact that we've gone from, I think, the second smallest to the sometimes largest one in AERC, and mostly it's because of the regional, of the smaller uh, organizations within the region who who bring in more folks, and uh, uh, Southeastern Endurance Riders is, Association is probably the biggest, but we have several states organizations and then in florida they have another southeast organization that covers more than just florida so that's probably contributing contributed to the best to the reason we have grown so much uh plus of course all the wonderful aerc members that we have in our region and we have uh, so many folks that if they can't ride, they come volunteer at the ride. So it works out very well. Right. And how long is your typical ride season last? 
Well, that's another reason that we've grown is that we can ride year-round. However, usually there are no rides in July and August just because it, it is too extremely hot to have them. But uh, we do every once in a while have a couple that don't start until the sun goes down and uh, our moonlight rides. So we really have um, have year-round. However, most of the time our ride season starts in, in uh, um, September and goes through June. <laughs> And so I know you guys have, I was looking at the ride calendar and I was like, wow, look at all the rides. I'm so jealous because out West we've been losing rides, you know, over time, it's really difficult to get permits and permission and the fees and stuff. Do you guys have to contend with some of those issues or, you know, what kind of trails and um, landowners do you guys have to contend with? Okay. We have a lot of, uh, of a uh, forest service rides. And most of the time, unless you get uh, a person that's over that particular section of trail um, is anti-horse, we don't have any problems. And most of the time, they don't even have to pay a fee. Uh, then we have uh, a bunch of local um local ride uh, or uh, landowners who are very nice to let us in once we prove that we're we're uh dedicated to taking care of their land and that kind of thing so um we don't have the problems you do out west i will say that for sure now the one we have we cannot have um competitive rides in in uh, national forests so we have to kind of get uh, um on the edges <laughs> okay so the, like the great smokies we're not allowed to have one in there which would be a fantastic place to have them however some of the other state forests that have mountains etc we are allowed so we go there and so I see you have several different types of events coming up. You've got uh, lots of limited distance. You've got hundreds, you know, rides like the Biltmore. You've got the Young Riders Championship. Is there anything you can tell us about what's going on, like with international riding and those types of rides? Well, uh, we only now, as far as I know, only have one uh, international ride left. I mean, where where is uh -huh. actually sanctioned FEI, and that's Boxton Bridge, and they still happen mainly because the um, person who who sanctions them is an international rider. Biltmore uh, stopped theirs uh, during the during the. Um, epidemic <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, the COVID stuff and uh, it doesn't look like they're coming back to FEI so okay. um, uh, and then of course we were disaffiliated by USEF 
the whole country, whole of uh-huh. AERC was. Now they're asking to come to get back together with us, but I don't know whether that will happen or not. And several of the more active folks have have quit because they aren't happy with the way things are going. So I'm not sure what will happen next. Well, where do you think we are headed with writers that want to write at that level? Well, I hate that they don't that they don't have more mm-hmm. places to go. And I have been an active member of AERC International since it started just mainly because I really hoped that we could even build it up to a Olympic level before I found out the Olympics said, heck no, we're not going to put uh-huh. on any more horse events. They're too hard. So, or that's not what they said. They said they weren't going to put on anymore. They didn't give a real reason. So, so but anyway, I still supported it. And I was a, a an FEI official for until they kicked me out because they said I was too old. Oh, no. So I don't really know where we're headed. My understanding, although I was not able to go to the AERC convention, that uh, um, USAF has approached us again to work with them, but uh, I don't know what will become of that. Mm -hmm. Right, because most of the international writers are down in your region. Yes, that's right. <laughs> they so are. So how, how long uh, have you been writing endurance yourself? Well, I I actually started in 78. Uh, I heard about it, and I went to a ride and watched. And then I had a, one friend who was wanting to try it. So they I crewed for them the next year. And then in 80, I did my first ride, 1980. And I continued in that up until I broke my neck a few years ago and I decided maybe it was time to hang up my saddle. Mm-hmm. However, I've been going to rides ever since right. and, and and helping in some way, crewing or or timing or something like that. So I'm and still active a, in the sport. <laughs> tell us about your decade team horse. Oh, well that's uh, a royal runner, although he was not when whenever you started it because he had not done consecutive rides since the AERC has got you to change that rule where it doesn't have to be consecutive. He no, I, actually, one. that was my rule. <laughs> I got them to change. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Well, good. I'm glad you did. Yes, because I realized anyway, life, inter- life interferes. People need right. to have a goal to come back. That I agree, and that horse was Royal Runamir, and uh, if we could have had, he was the best at multi-days, but we had only one multi-day ride in the East at all. Uh-huh. Now we have a couple of more, and I hope we will get more, just because I think they are the best test of a horse anyway, but <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> that's I kind of feel the same way. You know, the one-day hundreds are also a great test, but they're done in a day. <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> and and I never thought I would do one until way back when the Lace of Champions uh-huh. came, mm-hmm. came around, and I, I wanted to go, go ride in that, not just attend, so... I 
finally got qualified, and yes. and, um, and Amir did a whole bunch of hundreds. Good, good. Well, I, I think do I you... finished 39 of them, I think. That's oh, that's I'm quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you had to have 500s and so many top 10s in order to qualify for the race of champions. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So since you've done so much writing in the Southeast and volunteering, what advice do you have for somebody that is in your region or is riding at a ride where it's hot and humid? Oh, well, okay. Electrolytes, <laughs> electrolytes. <laughs> That's my main thing. And and when I started, we didn't have, we didn't know what they were. In fact, the first time I saw anybody using them, I said, what's that pink stuff you're putting in your, in your water? And uh, so they told me. And I, then, of course, I had heard of something about electrolytes for humans. So the next ride, I tried them, but I put them in straight in the water instead of a syringe, and then the horse wouldn't drink water. So, <laughs> so I was doubly messing him up or her up, whichever uh-huh. one I was riding at the time. So anyway, but that's my main thing, and and be pre- prepare yourself. Don't don't uh, let yourself get dehydrated. In fact, I laugh because one uh, one ride manager used to say at the meeting, if you're not going to the bathroom, you're not drinking enough. So, so that would be the other thing is to keep the person hydrated also. And 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 if you live in the southeast, you're okay because you know what it's like. It can be like. But if you don't, and you're coming from a region that's not that humid then you need to really prepare yourself and your horse and be prepared to slow down if necessary. I've always said that, of course, mm-hmm. but for any region. <laughs> but uh, that's my main thing. Exactly, exactly. Was there anything else going on in the Southeast region you want to share with us? Well, I think you pretty much mentioned we've had, over time, we've had uh, uh, several um uh, clinics that some of them have been well attended and some of them hadn't. We get we get it. It, it seems to be the more um, publicity you put out, the better your turnout. And mm-hmm. so um, we we try to work with ride managers if they're willing to even have like a mini clinic at their rides. That seems to be the easiest way to get folks in. And then we have in the southeast been the best i think at keeping a new rider briefing at most of our rides so that somebody that's starting out gets some extra help right right and i see many of the rides are offering intro rides now yes they are Uh, (laughs) uh, i'm astounded at what people will pay to come and ride an intro ride (laughs) all over the country so so we didn't, of course, have anything like that back when back in I the day. Well, we uh-huh. didn't have much of anything back when I started. I, I'm forever grateful to the folks that started AERC because they had the foresight to see that that this would be a sport that could be for anybody mm-hmm. and any horse that you just want to ride appropriately and you can get through. I just want to thank you again for joining us and sharing a little bit of information about your region. 
Okay, we're we're awful friendly down here, so I hope everybody that wants to will come try us. And my favorite hoof boot that I've been using for, gosh, decades now is Renegade Hoof Boots. They are made in Arizona and come in several different colors with a couple of different boot models. I have been just thrilled with how well they have worked for all of my horses for so many years. I've done every kind of distance in them all the way up to multi-day rides and hundreds, including Tevis in the strap-on boot. I've also used their glue-on boots, which are also another great option. And they're, I'm getting the boots working now on these newer horses that I'm using and they're working out just, I mean, I'm just tickled. They're working so well. They're easy to use. I, you know, get my juniors or new riders with me and they quickly figure them out because they are so simple. They're easy to use. They are are not difficult to put on or take off. So if you want to learn more about Renegade Hoof Boots, go to renegadehoofboot.com. And we have some upcoming events, right? Yes, we do. It looks like the AARC office is going to be offering a mini convention for May 1st. It will be a day of Zoom presentations. They're going to have uh, Q&A time, raffles. If you want to enter that, go to the AARC.org page for members. It's $60. Non-members can also attend. It's $70 for non-members. All registrations will include two raffle tickets and a, pro- a surprise prize. Also, the Old Dominion has got their YouTube channel up. We talked to them a month or two ago about some of their free seminars that they are offering. You can go there onto YouTube and we'll post the link for that or search for Old Dominion Equestrian Endurance Organization. Also, if you're at the AERC.org site, be sure to check out the ride calendar and look for rides near you or, you know, not just to ride, but to go and volunteer. We would love to have you come and volunteer. Very good. And, of course, you can find all the past episodes of the Endurance episode. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page. You're going to see a little banner for Endurance. Click on that, and it brings you to all nine years' worth. It's got to be that Yes, long. yeah. It really does. Well, thank you, Karen, for hanging in this long and continuing to do it. You I, Think about all the different changes in your life since you started doing this show. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, and it seems it's gone by so fast. It, it's crazy. It is just nuts. So uh, that's where you can find all the past episodes of Endurance all in one place. You can find Karen at? Uh, just look for me on NV Endurance Writer. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All right, and all you can find all of the past, or you can find all of the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. We also have our own app. If you want to download an exclusive app just for all the Horse Radio Network shows, I think there's 21 of them now, you can just search for Horse Radio Network, iOS or Android. And of course, we're here five days a week. I'll be back tomorrow with Jamie for a usual Wednesday episode, so look for us then. We have a couple of great guests booked, and I think you're going to enjoy tomorrow's episode, so we look forward to you coming back. Auditors, hold on. We will uh, hang around and just chat for a little bit in the post show. We have to hear about this thing that happened to your horse. We're going to do that. <laughs> We're going to do that in the post show. Thanks, Karen.
So auditors, uh, so Karen, <laughs> what happened with your horse? Well, we got on the horse right at my house, rode down the cul-de-sac, and then had kind of an exciting event. Okay. <laughs> a Myler balloon flew oh, up out of my neighbor's tree across the street. Deadly Myler balloon. A deadly Myler balloon. That attack horses. I, you know, if it had just been sitting there on the ground, fine. But no, it had to come popping up over this pine tree like some sort of alien uh, creature. <laughs> alien creature coming at us with the breeze blowing it From right the toward Mylar. us. <laughs> Those darn mylar balloons. So um were you yeah, on before, Jovi? Your your I, new I was yeah. on Jovi and this was his first real good spook. Uh-huh. And um what's he do? Buck, duck out, turn? Um he kinda well it was like I don't know if he spooked first or if it was Apollo. And I all I saw was Apollo kind of spun around, and my friend was sort of hanging on, like, uh, on his side as he spun around, and she hung on and hung on and hung on, and then she just dropped to the ground, and it was only like a two or three feet fall, so she wasn't hurt or anything, but Jovi kind of followed suit, or maybe (laughs) he instigated. I'm still not sure it all happened so fast, and so as he spun around, and he I think he tried taking off. I was hanging on, and for some reason, I stayed on. I don't know how I stayed on. It's just got to be muscle memory or something. But I managed to stay on and get him stopped. And somewhere in the meantime, it took two days, and I ended up with a nice bruise on the backside of me. Two two days to get him stopped? Two days for the bruise to (laughs) show up. (laughs) I know. It's you know that's one of those things. Where that's a long it, bolt. It, that's a bolt it's bolting all, for a long time. <laughs> I know it's all slow motion, but it happens in like a half a second, right? right? Exactly. But yeah. It does seem like it's forever, and uh, so I'm riding in that in the saddle that's carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. So I think I probably lunged forward and backwards and mm-hmm. managed to hit the bottom end of the of my bottom end on the back part of the saddle. And so, yeah, a couple of days later, I ended up with this nice blue and green and yellow bruise back there. Right on your butt. Um, <laughs> right there. And I didn't even come off. So I, that was kind of a weird thing. So I, I went over and retrieved the balloon and brought it back home because I was going to be using it for future training. <laughs> Guess what, guys? You're going to get to see lots of balloons. Um, so, uh, and of course, said- it's... Every house on your street has a window? Okay, wait. So that's the next part. Okay, so I bring the balloon back. We get back on because I had gotten off to get the balloon. So we got back on and we head on out because I'm thinking, okay, we want, you know, to let the horses know we're brave. And uh, just because we have a little mishap, we're, you know, we're not going to chicken out and give up. We got back on and we went out and rode the horses. And then on the way back, we came back a different way down a different street. And by that point, it had gotten really windy. And I mean, it was blowing pretty good. So as we're coming down the street, I'm starting to realize that like every single house on both sides of the street all have windmills. Like real windmills or those little fakey ones? Well, they're the little fakey windmills. Yeah, okay. You know? But 
they're still whirling and spinning and creaking and making noise. And then people have signs up for their, you know, like they got their last name or the name of their place. And those are all swinging in the wind and crackling. And then, of course, we've got all the dogs running up through the fence back and forth and back and forth. And, um, and you know, all, all that kind of things eat Arabians. And you know what, though? But that's we just. The horses came down the street and they were fine. I was like starting to freak out going, I've gone down this street for almost 30 years now. And I've never <laughs> noticed that every house has a windmill on it. That's what happens when you have a horse that's just very well trained. But, but now I'm kind of being a little nervous. I don't want either horse to spook because I don't want my friend, you know, who's starting back right. once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but. <laughs> But I figured, you know, if we made it all the way back home safely, it was a sigh of relief. It's like, well, there's hope for us yet. If we could manage that. <laughs> was she sore? Uh, she she was like me. It took her a couple days for a little bruise to show up. Oh, well, I mean, it could, it could have been much worse. Oh, it, yeah, yeah it could have. I mean, the good part was even if the horses had run off and left us, we're right here on our street. So yeah, they, you exactly. know. That would it would have been fine, but you know, and all the I think of all the years and years and years of riding, I've never mounted a horse, you know, gone a couple hundred feet and then have a balloon pop up in our face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we we were doing some training, you know, with that balloon, and I got some more regular balloons, and um, turns out they're not afraid of balloons when they're not a surprise. <laughs> so. Two more things I want to talk to you about real quick, and I know we've talked about one of these before, but it's still incredible. You post um, – it's on the astrophotography page. Okay, my husband's astrophotography. Yes. Now, you posted on your page. Is astrophotography his page, or is that a general page for um, – It's – well, it's a photo album of his photos that okay, he's taking. Okay, that's taken. what I mean. Okay, so anybody yeah. can go to yeah. that, right? Anybody can go the, it's to that. It's public. Photography. Go chat. So they don't need to follow you personally to see these. Right. But, um, on your page, you post these also. And he's got, for new listeners, he's got himself a real telescope, like with the dome and the thing that opens and the whole thing. I mean, he's uh -huh. got himself a really big telescope. But some of the pictures you've been posting recently have just been incredible. Aren't they really cool? Didn't oh you like God. the dolphin one? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then there's the long line one that you had. And, uh -huh. then, and then the one... Um, that was uh, just the spiral one, the spiral yes. galaxy. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. It's hard to believe he sees all that in his telescope. I, it is pretty cool. And, you know, how many hours it takes to get a good photo. And, and what can mess it up? You know, like, you only have so many dark sky nights a month. And then, of course, it, it tends to be cloudy or something. Well, the, uh, the one that looked like it was out of Star Trek. I mean, the early uh -huh. 1960s Star Trek um, <laughs> was the Dolphin Nebula. That was just like out of – it looked like something they would fly through and it would get really bumpy and then the red alert thing would come on. Or, or you know, or that an art artist sort of conceptualized and made up. <laughs> it's just incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. all the things that are out there and what he captures with his telescope. Right, right. And that one was 60 light years away, which I don't even know how you tell that. But you know. I know, I know. That, that's you, kind of the much, cool thing. So how thing. many hours does the camera have to sit open, basically, to get that picture? You know, I believe some of them, it's between 20 and 30 hours. And if it moves a tiny and, bit, it's, you're done. <laughs> it's 
Right. Well, sure, and there's so much atmospheric stuff that can interfere. That's why you do like the clouds. really long exposures. <laughs> yes, yeah. clouds, you know, and then you got Starlink satellites. and. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing. They're cluttering the sky so much, you're not going to be able to see any of this stuff anymore. I, I know. Luckily, the software is getting so advanced, it can kind of clean some of that stuff up. Yeah, the one that he did of, um, what was it called, the Hamburger Galaxy? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, the one you posted last, the long line. I mean, that, right. was inc- that was incredible, too, also because of the bright stars that were around it. It was just really cool. It is pretty cool when you think, like, our Milky Way is just this little minuscule, little itty-bitty thing in the middle of this whole universe. So does he believe that there's, uh, you know, other other lives out there somewhere? I, I think the odds are that there is. I mean, does it would be... That? pretty arrogant of us to think otherwise you you know that we're like we're the only ones out of you know we're just this little teeny teeny little we're not even the dot on the head of a little pin in relation to how much is actually out there that we're still even you know discovering through these massive telescopes and stuff. It's pretty, it is, it is pretty, it's pretty cool. cool. It is really it is cool. Pretty cool. I, I, the, the pictures are, are amazing. And go to Astrophotography on Facebook. Just look it up and you'll see the pictures there. They're just... Or, uh, yeah, because um, yeah, I, I get after him sometimes. He forgets to send me photos. So I've been getting him to send me more. Hopefully I'll keep posting a couple every week or at least one a week. But they can find this on your Facebook page, right? Yes. So Karen it's Chatton, a fo- you make them public right. so everybody can see them. Yeah, and uh, it's under the astrophotography um, photo album. It's just oh. incredible. I mean, I just uh, it amazes me. Even if you're not interested in space, these pictures are incredible. Um, and then Karen posts a lot of food. Uh, she posts a lot of food <laughs> pictures because she's really into making cool foods now. Food. So what's your latest thing in the food department? You know, it's a kind of I've evolved. I, I know we talked about it before. I started out kind of following keto and now I've switched. I'm not even, I don't really consider it keto anymore. Basically, I've just cut out like starchy vegetables. Yeah, it's mostly meat and, ve- meat and vegetables is what you're Junk eating. food. Yeah. I'm eating a lot of vegetables. I've added a lot more vegetables back in. I'm eating like lots of salads and greens and um, stuff like that. You know, meat, a good variety between. Um, yeah, but I don't you know, see like one potato. Not one fish, potato. no, no potatoes. <laughs> I do kind of miss those. Miss the French fries yeah. for sure, the air fryer <laughs> yeah, French fries. I would miss potatoes. We like potatoes. I know. And so, you know, it's just kind of we've adapted to it's more like a healthier way of eating, is what I consider it. It's not so much. I'm not really dieting. In fact, because I re- I reached my goal weight last month, actually, yay! Right after hey. last month's show, and so then I kind of decided I was going to drop a couple more pounds, which I have, and then so I've started adding back in my calories and stuff like that for the day, so I can get back to what's going to be a more normal thing, and I'm maintaining really well, so I'm not hungry. See, that's the cool thing is when you're eating the healthier foods and you're not eating the junk, you, you're you full, you know, because you're getting enough protein, it keeps you filled up, you know, versus if you're just eating, say, fast food stuff all the time, so, it, it, but it does take a while to make a change and, well, and not only that, kind of, if you eat healthy, it's expensive. 
It's a lot more expensive. It, There's a reason that people eat unhealthy. It, ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Although fast food has gotten from what no, everybody tells me. It's gone way up in price. It's true. I mean, so. for two of us now to eat at Five Guys, it's like uh, 30 bucks. Yes. Yeah. See, and I can make a pretty nice steak dinner at home for that. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, complete with salad and... You know, there is quite a bit of stuff and, you know, but I'm, I'm not doing the proverbial like lots of bacon and fat. I mean, I almost never or, you know, um, stuff like that. I'm getting it all more incorporated from healthier type of foods. So I'm trying to like I'm trying to buy local grass fed beef, you know, and eating, you know, more fish and chicken and, you know, lean pork and stuff like that. So. Right. Uh, we have a new well, near our new house now. We have a Puerto Rican restaurant. It's only my, half a mile away, and uh, it's all homemade stuff. So it's really good. You know. Oh, we've, that's nice. We've been eating there some. That's also not uh, mm-hmm. following your diet. Yeah, you just don't. You don't. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't realize how much stuff. It, you know how many of the things you're wanting to avoid can slip into things yep. that, that you're unaware of and i think that's what gets a bunch of people that they don't you know they don't realize sometimes how difficult it is you know when you're trying to because there's so much to learn at once when you're trying to figure out your portions and your balance you know all your micros and your macros out and and that sort of thing and so it's been a long journey but it's well, definitely been worth it Thanks. Yeah, I think that's part of what helped me stay on the horse when when he did his big spook like he did. Yeah, so. but that's why you have a bruise. There's not as much padding there as there used to be. I know that's what my <laughs> husband said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody, we got to go. I got to get this show out. So we'll see y'all. 